Are you thinking of a career working for the United Nations or its agencies around the world? Is it your dream to serve in your country's foreign ministry, but you don't know where to start? The Center for United Nations Studies at the University of Buckingham in the United Kingdom is now offering a new one-year master's degree program in United Nations and Diplomatic Studies. Applications for fall 2020 and January 2021 are now open. Graduates will gain a firm grounding in diplomacy, international and regional organizations, causes of conflict, and strategies for conflict resolution. They'll also learn about global political communication and have access to mentors with first-hand experience in the UN system, such as Program Director Mark Seddon, a former speechwriter to UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, and Lord Mark Malik brown a former UN Deputy Secretary General. The University of Buckingham is located in a historic English town, close to London, and is a popular choice for students from across the globe. To find out more about the program, click the link in our episode description. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Filion, and welcome to Unscripted. Today, Estonia brings high-tech and a European touch to the Security Council presidency. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. Today, we talk with permanent representative of Estonia, Sven Jorgensen, about the country's first ever Security Council presidency. We also talked with Lauri Markse, an expert in international relations based in Tartu, Estonia's second largest city, to give us some perspective about Estonia's tenure on the council. Interesting fact, Tartu is also the city where Ambassador Jorgensen was born, but his family moved to Tallinn, the capital of Estonia, when he was seven. He was appointed ambassador to the UN in 2015, but it was a return to the Big Apple for him, as he was also UN ambassador from 1998 to 2000. When we talked to Malkse, the international law expert, he explained to us that Ambassador Jorgensen was part of a handful of experienced diplomats that could represent Estonia when it became independent in 1991. Ambassador Jorgensen told us that his diplomatic experience dates back to when Estonia was still part of the Soviet Union. Well, it, it was an interesting time and it was uh, an interesting place to be because I actually I studied data processing university, but it, it became kind of dry for me. And so end of 80s, when things started changing already and I was working in technical university, then a friend of mine was working in a, a place called Estonian Institute that was created by an intellectual, a writer and, and filmmaker, Lennart Meri, who later became foreign minister and then president. And he started using this institute as a cover-up for foreign ministry. When Estonia was not independent yet, it was still occupied, to use it as a, a cover for foreign policy. And, and we opened information centers in different places, in Helsinki, in Stockholm, London, Bonn, Paris. And I was sent as the first diplomat uh, from the Estonian Institute when I joined there. I was sent as the first person to the information center in Helsinki. And it was already in April 1991, a little bit before the independence. And I was thinking that it's going to be quite a calm and long period because uh, at the time, it was already obvious, 1990, 1991, that Estonia was already 
rapidly becoming independent, but nobody expected this to happen so fast. And so in August, suddenly there was freedom and I had to start building up an embassy. And I was the first Sargent Affairs in, in Helsinki, a very important place for Estonia because as a neighboring country, you know, it's the closest to Estonia. And, and there it started. And then later I, I went from Helsinki to Vienna to do the same thing, to open a bilateral mission over there. And the ambassador has represented his country on many different continents since then and attended many historical meetings for Estonia. And when you look at the big accomplishments for Estonia, first it was the independence, then it was joining the European Union, joining NATO, joining Eurozone, you know, all these kinds of things. And now the latest was actually to become a member of the Security Council of the United Nations. And this is like a big accomplishment showing the path we have come. And the lucky thing for me was that I have been really closely linked to all those big accomplishments. You know, I was, I was in Estonia during the independence fight. I was actively participating. So I was political director in the ministry when Estonia was among the very first East European countries to be invited to join the negotiations for European Union. I was ambassador in Washington when we got invited to join NATO. And that was my one and only task being in Washington is to get the invitation uh, from the Prague summit in 2001 to be invited to NATO. And I was uh, ambassador here in New York when we had the campaign to become a member of Security Council and that was also successful and, and now leading the team and we have a super team here to, uh, to lead the team during the Security Council membership. This is really a dream job, you know, when you look at the whole story of my life. But mostly, I'm pretty humble. It's, it's not about me, but I just happen to be in the right place in the right time. And he's talking about this Security Council presidency. That's another history page being written right now in Estonia's books. As we said, it's their first presidency, and that's a big responsibility for the ambassador. I don't know exactly what's waiting for us. I have seen others doing it. But it's, it's a bit intimidating, but I, I'm sure as we have, like all those, those places where like in the beginning when I said where, where I have been luckily part of it, we have come out of it very successfully. Estonia is the third country to take the monthly rotating presidency of the Security Council since the UN was ordered to mostly work from home following China and the Dominican Republic. China's tenure was marked by upheaval, adaptation, and a relatively opaque council. While in April, the council's work became more accessible to journalists and the public during the Dominican Republic presidency. And the council finally held its long-awaited first meeting on the coronavirus outbreak. It was closed to the public, not live-streamed, but many member states, as well as UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, made their statements public. In April, the council also held its first-ever fully live-streamed video teleconference. At the end of March, many Europeans members of the UN complained about China's lack of transparency while handling the crisis. Although things got better in April, they were for sure looking forward to a European member to preside over the council. Despite the crisis, the Estonian ambassador told us the country's priorities haven't really changed, except for one big detail. Basically, in one way, I could say the priorities have not changed, with one exception. There is a new priority that is pandemics, and this is COVID-19. This is the biggest challenge that we have at the moment. 
But the rest of it, having transparency, having uh, the emphasis on international law and rules-based world order, climate change, all these things are still there. And like I said, there is one addition to that. One thing perhaps also that has been changing is that some of the priorities are more challenging than we expected, like this transparency, for example. And we, we plan to have two high-level open debates. And one of the things that we have been thinking is that the formula of the meeting is even not so important than how it would work out. For example, what I have in mind is that on the 8th of May, this is going to be the 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War in Europe. And we were planning to have a high-level open debate remembering the end of the Second World War, remembering the Second World War, lessons learned from that, looking into the future, and to have a, a big high-level debate. And, and now, of course, this is difficult. But in order to be as close as possible to a normal debate that we would have had in the, in the council chambers, we decided to make this an ARIA meeting. And it will be very high level. It will, there will be many ministers speaking and the chair of the meeting will be foreign minister from Estonia. So everybody can be in their own country and, and still participate in the meeting. And in some ways, actually, I think the participation will be even bigger because nobody has to travel to New York. While it's true that this pandemic makes it easier for representatives from abroad to take part in the meetings as they can just call in from wherever they are in the world, and I'm sure the Estonian foreign minister won't be too stressed about digital diplomacy. Estonia is known around the world for having a very developed tech hub. I mean, Skype software was created by Estonians. Lauri Markso, the international law expert, lived in the United States for a while. And even then, he thought Estonia was more advanced technologically than America. I have been myself to the United States for, for several years as fellow at different academic institutions. And from tax filing to certain aspects of banking, life, let's say, is easier here in, in, in Estonia because these things have been made really convenient. And why is it so? I think it was partly a project to get us out from this sort of post-Soviet status and obscurity, you know, we'll really try to pick up some things that are advanced and also simply do it. And it, it has helped that Estonia, the smallness of Estonia, I said 1.3 million. So, so, you know, it's like uh, smaller ships, they are easier to turn if the captain decides to turn it or the crew they decide to turn it, whereas the, you know, the U.S. and the, these countries are probably, because they are so big, then, then in some contexts they are maybe harder to turn on the ocean as far as those technological solutions are concerned. And then there is debate, like I, I also know Germany quite well. Germans probably wouldn't do some of the things we are doing because of their fear of data protection. Like, you know, is my data safe? But we do, for example have internet voting in my generation younger generation i think most people already vote basically in their computer so the assumption is that this works it is safe the technological solution for that is such that no one individually will learn about how you voted or something and then this is these votes are counted correctly but these are some of the elements in you know how estonia does these things and then also related to this it and this already makes a little bridge to international relations. And the United Nations Security Council is that in 2007, 
there were cyber attacks against Estonia. And then after that, Estonia started to facilitate the idea that basically uh, the norms of behavior in the cyberspace, even the norms of international law, they should be formulated, they should be expressed. Out of this was born an academic work called the Tallinn Manual, which kind of lays down in the, the opinion of an expert group on how international law applies in, to cyber conflict. So in this sense, Estonia has, has also been one of the pioneering countries in that forward-looking field that is a question for international relations. What is the international law that applies to cyber conflict? Professor Mogso mentioned it. With advanced technologies comes cybersecurity risks. That's something the UN has learned even more over the past few months as the bulk of its work went online. So cybersecurity is an expertise Estonia wants to bring to the council and especially during its presidency. Why we became so famous in the world of cybersecurity is that we are very developed in e-governance and everything digital. But that actually gives you a lot of possibilities and opens doors But at the same time, it makes you also vulnerable. So there is another side of the same coin is when you have very digital society, you also need to have very strong cybersecurity. And Estonia in 2007 was the first country that came as a country as a whole, came under very severe cyber attacks. And this was a wake-up call. And when we had been talking about it for years already, there were very few who took it very seriously. And so this was a call when after what they said, no, this is not just a science fiction story, but this is true, this is a real threat. And now we have a center of excellence for cybersecurity in Estonia. And I think this crisis now, when everybody's online, it shows the same thing. And when I read, for example, that in in some states in the United States, but then also in South Korea and in places where they are having elections now, and how can they carry them through this really trying time, then we have a solution to that. You should all have a good and secure digital ID cards, and then you can have e-voting. Estonia is still the only country in the world that is having parliamentary and local elections online, and there is a possibility to elect online. And more than 30% of people are using it. And the first time was 2005, and since then, the number of people choosing the online option is growing quite fast. And especially young people, you know, take advantage of that. You don't have to stand and queue in rain and snow, you know, you can do it at home. The possibilities for online, for example, that now everybody's having those video meetings and so on, then comes like everybody knows, activists in the press now, the vulnerability, you know, uh, all kinds of trolling going on and hacking into the conferences. And, and this is all that we have to bear in mind. And, and this audience for this subject has grown quite dramatically. But of course, it's still a kind of a sensitive issue as such at the the United Nations because countries do have kind of different views on what are the solutions to cyber threats. But this situation now, I think it would even make it more important than before. So the series of cyber attacks in 2007 are believed to have been orchestrated by Russia, although it hasn't been proven officially and the Kremlin denied it. The event has for sure complicated the relationship between the two countries, which share a border. Russia's invasion of Crimea in 2014 also worried Estonia. 
Still, Estonian President Kedersti Kadrjulaid was the first Baltic leader to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin since the invasion. Her rationale was basically that neighbors need to talk, but that doesn't mean the two countries get along. Here's how Melkso put it. I think on Estonia's side, there would be probably a willingness to have a friendly attitude, friendly relationship, but there are, of course, issues. And, and one, of the, one of the issues that Estonia has is this thing what happened in, in Ukraine. For us, of course, the disintegration of the Soviet Union in 91, this was a final thing in the sense that the federal borders of the Soviet Union back then, they were recognized as borders of new countries. And if, if then Russia later on starts to unilaterally change some of those borders and, and the next territories that now, then, then we have a problem with that. And, and in that sense, for this fundamental difference about how to relate to these events in the post-Soviet space, I guess that both countries are currently not on the friendliest of terms. But it's not an open animosity or something, in, in my view. And this is, you mentioned the visit of uh, President Kaliulai to, 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 to Russia. And I think it shows that, of course, Estonia is willing to interact with Russia. And, and you know, this, in our history, we used to be part of the Russian Empire for 200 years. Then we were illegally made part of the Soviet Union. But that means, in, in a certain sense, we are also close. That, that's what I would say provocatively. So, so this probably, you know, at least we, we care definitely also about this region, this post-Soviet space in, in which you also have, you know, frozen and, and in some cases like Donbass actually also open, more or less open conflicts. So these are the conflicts that are the closest to us and that we, by definition, worry the most about because I guess everyone is concerned about their immediate neighborhood first and foremost, right? According to Ambassador Jorgensen at the UN, Estonia works with its Russian counterpart, Vasily Nebenzia, on issues that they think alike on. But the list of topics they don't agree on is pretty long. Here's what the ambassador told us. I, I couldn't say that we are on very friendly terms as neighbors should be. When I look at the relations with Finland or Sweden or Latvia, the other neighbors, they are, they are much warmer, I would say. There are still challenges. But when I look at the cross-border cooperation and so on, then things are going okay. But of course, there are issues, like you said, about Crimea, then, then you have Georgia. And these are all really worrying, worrying situations. And not only for us, but I think for a whole of Europe. But at the Security Council, I think so far, when I look at our relationship with my Russian colleague or between the, the missions, I think it has been very constructive. We have been working together and trying to support each other wherever we can. And of course, there are differences of opinion, like uh, about uh, the, the situation of human rights in Crimea, the occupation of Crimea. We have different views on what's happening in Syria. We have different views of what's happening in Abkhazia, South Ossetia. This is all known. You know? But at the same time, when there are issues where we don't have an issue, then, then we can work together. So we'll see how this relationship evolves during Estonia's presidency. Thanks very much to Ambassador Sven Jorgensen for the interview, and also to Professor Lauri Markso for sharing his knowledge with us.
This episode was produced by me, Casey Candela, with help from Leontine Gallois and reported by Stephanie Fillion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends. 